Welcome to Podcast on Fire on The Hire, Season 1. So what is The Hire? Well, in 2001, BMW decided to debut a series of short films for the internet from a wide variety of world directors. They starred Clive Owen as the driver. They uh, were about showcasing BMW's chosen models of cars, of course, but uh, these movies were also also about giving said directors or the following directors the freedom to inject their style and voices. And across three seasons and nine short movies, I believe, this roster of directors included Asian talents such as John Woo, Ang Lee and Wong Kar Wai. And across two episodes, uh, we'll be doing something a little bit different here. We'll be looking at these uh, short movies, starting with the first five that made up the first season, if you will. And they are Ambush by John Frankenheimer, Chosen by Ang Lee, The Follow by Wong Kar Wai, Star by Guy Ritchie, and Powder Keg by Alejandro González Iñárritu. And I'm probably butchering his name. That's the director of Revenant and things like that. Anyway, with me for this new way of doing podcast on fires, if you will, with a little bit of east screen tint and a west screen tint is east screen, west screens. Paul Fox. So he's here to assist me. So hello and good morning, buddy. Hello, hello, and thank you for bringing me on this very interesting uh, ride, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's going to be uh, puns galore, whether we uh, mean it or not. Uh, one of my favorite expressions, no, not favorite, but I, I sometimes put it in my notes that a movie is driven. So if I do that, that's merely me not having any other word for a certain something I want to express. So, yeah, but it uh, certainly applies that uh, it's uh, it's driven and well-paced and all of that. Uh, do, uh, did, did you know of this the short uh, movie program back in the day or heard of it throughout the years being being a fan of uh, uh, at least the, the Asian directors in question here? I remember it being mentioned at a certain point, but I never was able to get a hold of it or to just have access to it. I just it kind of left my mindset after a while. And I mean, we live in an era where all of this stuff that we're talking about is very easily accessible on uh, things like YouTube and whatnot. And it just never came back to me until you uh, said, hey, let's uh, let's talk about this thing. And I was like, yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I heard about it through, through a friend back in the day, and he was telling me that they, BMW went all out. They uh, directors you know, they have audio commentaries right there on the site. I think they, this is pre, it should be pre-YouTube, or at least pre-YouTube what it is today, being in 2001. So it was an online program like uh, no other, but... Um, it wasn't obscure, it broke through, and we'll talk about some of its effects um, uh, on the market and on the public throughout these two um, episodes that cover these nine short movies. But uh, being the special co-host and being the co-producer, in essence, of this show, East Screen, West Screen is the podcast, and uh, you you are responsible and eligible for a plug, sir. So uh, what is it, and uh, where can they find it? Uh, yeah, it's our show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. So if you are a fan of uh, that kind of stuff, uh, please give us a listen. You can find us over at Kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. What was the um, latest uh, local uh, showing you get you uh, you went to that um, that uh, included an East Screen pick? Because you occasionally um, do a little um, uh, day trip to catch uh, a movie uh, here and there. Yeah, the last thing they had here for me um, was the Andy Lau, Donnie Yen co-star epic film uh, Chasing the Dragon, which uh, I think I enjoyed a bit more than my contemporaries. But again, I have to kind of put it out there that uh, it's for me, it's like dirty water in the desert now. 
So, you know, I can come across something which many of my friends back in Hong Kong will think is an absolute dog, but I will love it just because there's nothing else going well, on. Well, the well moment, there is so. a history with that movie and its characters, too, that you personally, you're into that history, whether the real life yeah. history or the movie history in question. Uh, you know, Andy Lau has played that character before. Now he's uh, repri- yes. reprising it. Did, did, did he ever do through Lee Rock 1 and 2, that is, did he ever do um, Andy Lau as older Lee Rock with uh, makeup and stuff back in the day or they just went with uh, young Lee Rock? No, in the second film, which uh, I, I, as I was talking with a friend, um, the first film, Lee Rock 1, I think holds up great. The second film, not so much because they do put him in aged makeup. And for the time, I mean, it was it was okay, but it still looks like a young Andy Lau kind of doing a Godfather impersonation. Mm. So with this new film, he's a bit more matured into the role. And it's a slightly different take on the older Lee Rock, but it, it was still fun. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll, um, I'm keen enough to catch it. Not really because of Donny. I'm, I can respect Donny's acting here and there, but I'm, I'm more keen to see Andy Lau, uh, really, uh, uh, out of those two. So uh, we'll try and catch it once it hits uh, streaming or digital download, I'm sure. Uh, but as for the rest of the contact information, this is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network. And uh, you can locate this show and all our other shows on uh, Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, Slicing Cinema. We do audio commentaries every now and again, bonus episodes. And uh, this show that covers mostly Hong Kong movies, new and old, where I try to um, branch out and do some West screen reviews connected to Asian talent and directors and so forth and this um, was uh, something I was keen to do to change it up ever so slightly because they are short movies after all so the work is could be seen as easier by default but uh, still it's the same process really watch make notes compile everything you need to for a show and uh, off you go but uh, anyway uh, plenty of choices over there on our site so if you have any questions or feedback let us know if you saw the hire back in the day uh, podcast on fire at googlemail.com and for our social media links uh, click the handy buttons at the top of our website uh, leading to our facebook page you can find our group on facebook that's called uh, on facebook you can find our group on facebook called podcast on fire network and click our twitter button to follow our twitter feed and click the itunes button to subscribe if you do leave a rating in the form of a star or a written comment and finally stream us on stitcher radio either on their website or applications available on the apple app store or google play and my reviewing site is sogoodreviews.com where you'll find a bunch of Uh, Hong Kong and Taiwanese reviews uh, focusing on uh, specific Taiwanese eras not necessarily the Ang Lee stuff uh, but uh, not yet anyway Uh, because Ang Ang Lee he didn't uh, he wasn't an art director as such his movies uh, you know the wedding banquet and so forth they were uh, drama so I think I'm I'm, I can appreciate those but but I was never really into the art art house that Taiwanese cinema uh, became famous for. Uh, Ang Lee is slotted into famous directors, but he made uh, more straightforward uh, movies, if you will. So uh, I'll, I might throw a quick review or two up there of uh, some older uh, Ang Lee movies. Because, heck, isn't um, Wu Qian Lian in one of his early movies, uh, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman? Right. That's correct, yeah. And uh, why have I not included that in my viewing habits? Because I have yes, why a indeed, major sir. movie crush on the solely missed Jacqueline Wu or Wu Qianlian. Uh, she's still off the scene, as far as you know. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen her in a while. Last time I saw her was uh, Jiang Hu with Andy Lau. Yeah, yeah, I think so. 
that was it. Lasting memory from that movie is that. Them two together. The rest of the movie was some slow motion uh, hair nonsense in rain. That's all I remember from that. Uh, Jang Ho and apparently Edison Chen having sex with an animal of some kind. That was some rumor that there's a scene in this movie with Edison Chen, Edison Chen having sex with a dog or a cut scene from that movie. Got the internet uh, brewing, man. Uh, anyway, uh, and my site is com. my video reviews is lisakvideo.com, and my tweets are available at sogoodreviews. So let's take a musical break, and after that, we'll start discussing uh, these uh, short movies. Um, the background to the BMW project is not extensive as such, so uh, next episode we'll talk more about. Uh, what impact it had so we're gonna go straight into the movies but uh, we'll do the musical break first and uh, we'll be right back whatever you do don't get too close never meet their eyes Welcome back in the first short movie from BMW. It uh, won't include Asian talent yet. And I think the running order is the release order as far as I know. But if I've missed the release order then that's fine. Because these are not uh, uh, part of a continuing story. And it's certainly in the order I viewed them in. Uh, So we're going to start with Ambush by John Frankenheimer. And the plot uh, in short, because it's a short movie. A mysterious BMW driver, played by Clive Owen, must protect an eccentric old foreigner, played by Thomas Millian, from criminals. And we're not going to do quick bite-sized opinions, because our notes are presumably not extensive as such. So I'm going to let Paul rattle through his notes um, from start to finish before I do mine. So uh, the floor is yours, sir. Ambush, what do you want to say about it? Yeah, so this was uh, the first one I watched of the series, and it uh, I, it was kind of what I expected uh, going into it. Uh, I think that this is uh, something that uh, you know BMW had attempted before in the '90s, and and I can talk a little bit about that later, perhaps. But I think it's a fun intro into this. Um, you have. Clive Owen here, I've not always been a huge Clive fan, but I think what they're asking him to do here in in, in the variety that we get in these, because as you said, they're not really connected. You don't really need to watch them in any particular order, but and his character is slightly varied depending on who's directing him. Uh, the different directors use him in different ways. I think um, Frankenheimer uses him in a very sort of straightforward, almost James Bondian way. And that's how many of the directors choose to use them. Uh, some of them vary off of that. And even in the commentaries, some of the directors say, you know, Clive, he has this very sort of James Bond nature about him. And I guess this is back in an era when there was maybe rumors that he was going to pick up uh, the James Bond role at some point. This was, I think, before Casino Royale. Yeah, or at least people wanted it. I don't know if Clive ever... It took a meeting, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I, I don't know if he ever went on record saying, yeah, the process was started, but they ultimately went another route. I, I'm, I've never even read all, up on that, um, personally. Uh, this one's fun. You know, basically, you're introduced to this mysterious driver. He has to drive this elderly gentleman, played by Thomas Millan. There's a twist that's thrown in there. It's kind of fun, a little bit predictable, if you've seen a lot of these kind of sort of heistish or 
sort of uh, spy slash thriller kind of things. Uh, a slight twist that's thrown in there for a bit of fun, but it's pretty action oriented and it it it, it does well uh, for what it's supposed to do. The real question though is, do these any of them as we go through these serve the purpose of advertising, right? And and this is a question because in some of the classes where we used to that I used to teach about communication and and things like advertising and how advertisements are supposed to communicate in the advertising industry, there's a great uh, notion that many people who end up in advertising really want to be doing what these guys do. You know, these directors, these directors are film directors. They're not advertisers per se, but many people who end up in advertising, they want to do this, right? They want to make big, high impact sort of action spectacle films, or they want to make, you know, concept pieces. And a lot of times what they end up making, what we see in advertising isn't really serving the product, you know, because it looks great. It may have a great concept. It may be funny. It may be humorous. But at the end of it, the question remains, does it make you want to do what the ad is supposed to do when it communicates to you? And that is to go out and buy that product, consume that product. Right. And so that's the thing that kind of sits in the back of my mind with all of these. They look great. But at the end of the day, do I want to go buy a BMW because I'm, I'm watching it? Um, and that's a question we can maybe come to at the end of all of this. I think I think ultimately BMW were satisfied when the numbers came in. But and and I, I don't think any seemed designed as a short where you could put a 30 second version of it on TV and it would play like an advertisement. Uh, I think ultimately they started the program and said, yeah, we'll give them freedom. We'll uh, we, we we trust these filmmakers, young and old, um, rather than to make like get into the BMW mysterious driver. Damn, I wish I'd bought the other model instead. This isn't fast enough. They, they don't uh, pander like that. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, you know it, it is interesting too when you see these sort of long form narratives that are serving as advertisements too. That this, this exists in in other forms, and I mentioned a bit earlier the. The idea of um, guy, or sorry, Clive wanting to uh, being being associated with James Bond. BMW has an association with James Bond as well, and I think it was back in the Pierce Brosnan movie uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, right back in '97, that they bought into a very strong presence in that film. With I think it was the forgive me, I'm not a car guy, but I think it was the 750 something, the 750 of, of that year. I need subtitles for what you just said, so that says everything about me in terms of my card. Seven, five, well, it's math all of a sudden, Paul. The, the, look, 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 and you, you can look this stuff up if you're, you know, if, and if you're into cards, you probably already know um, what this is. But basically, in Tomorrow Never Dies, James Bond is able to remote control his car from his phone, you know, and his gadget car. That's always a big thing. You know, oh, what where he's in the car. back seat, right? And yeah, the, okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. So you know that that was BMW basically buying into the. James Bond mythos. So they've they've kind of gone this route before, um, but this in this case it's I think a bit more interesting because they have again a new character and a lot more creative freedom by tapping into different directors and and going with different directorial visions rather than simply saying let's make our own movie about our car, you know, and we'll make it two hours and and we'll get Clive to do it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it always stars the car necessarily um, because they they don't f- focus on it. Uh, as such and there's I, I don't think any short makes any mention of bmw in uh, the name or uh, certainly no model so it's all uh, visually there uh, however 
intensely the directors chose to showcase that. Yeah. Only one short, and I'll mention it, is the one where I thought to myself, that would probably look good as an advertisement. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, and anybody who follows American popular culture, especially TV, this is something that is blatantly in your face on a lot of TV shows. I'm thinking of uh, shows like Hawaii Five O and and others where they will actually, you know, drop not they'll not only drive the car directly into frame so that the logo hits center camera, but they have the actors actually selling the car. They'll say like, "Oh, you know this 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 new vehicle I got has auto lock feature or something." You know, they'll they'll really just list out on these shows and and you know that's their paid spot now cool uh, anything else you want to say about the frankenheimer's short no uh, again with these um i think it it uh, hits all the buttons that you would expect um and where i think this series gets fun is when we start to get in some areas where it goes in places that you don't expect yeah yeah for sure i mean um, being the first one you you wonder like how much are these filmmakers uh, genre filmmakers even going to flex how much are they allowed to flex and uh, I don't think Frankenheimer was uh, interested in making uh, a, a specialized little movie. He was uh, saw a chance to make a little action short, and it, it's fine, but it doesn't signal a thousand percent show um, promise for a series. It, it was going to get better, I think, a couple of movies in, but uh, it is fine and s- somewhat fun. Uh, Clive got that stern, in control, not panicked look over himself as the driver so uh, he's in control of the situation being chased and shot that and of course we get into the scenario really quickly which is really uh, nice the the format should mean that you do but um, he's he's gonna flourish a little bit more in the role but he's the man hired for a purpose he knows what risks are what risks are worth it and he's keeping his cool and that's um, that's uh, perfectly acceptable it's nothing pulse pounding chase wise but chase wise but of course when they avoid the big semi truck that uh, slides aco- uh, slides across the road that's of course a very competent um, stunt that they perform for real there's no uh, uh, computer generated imagery where they put these things in the same frame uh, afterwards or anything uh, but it feels like a first in the series and uh, BMW and Clive the directors producers um, even um, even uh, David Fincher was one of the executive producers on the on the project. They're, they're all trying to get a grasp, I think, of what they're able to do as a project and technically. So, ambush is simplified and straightforward and competent, but it's it doesn't break a sweat necessarily. You know, job done, moved on. So it, it's one of the shorts that I don't think is is essential. Uh, but but it is the start of the project, uh, a project that flourished into something fun that did scream uh, promise um, a few movies in, depending on the viewer you are. So uh, it's a start, and uh, it's a it's a it's a competent one at that. So uh, let's uh, move over to uh, short number two, and this is Chosen by Ang Lee. And uh, in this one, the plot is about the driver is carrying an East Asian child who has been chosen for strange uh, rites. He must drive him through a dark night in the city, not really the city, more more <laughs> along the docks, uh, to uh, get to a monk's uh, house uh, while eluding several uh, cars uh, out to uh, get the child. So uh, why don't I fl- throw it over to you this time around again and uh, le- let me hear your views on Chosen. All right, so if you've listened to us up to this point, you're thinking, why are they talking about this on podcast on fire, right? Where's the... Uh... Where's my Asian cinema? Well, we do have quite a few Asian directors here, and this is the first among them with Ang Lee coming in um, and directing this very 
Hong Kong-esque short, as I would call it, um, because it really feels like it's paying some homage to Hong Kong cinema in, in some ways. Um, and in part, the, where that really shines through, not just because not just because you have monks and, and that kind of thing going on here, but they get into the shipping yard, and my note was this, shipping yard shenanigans. <laughs> because it's almost Keystone Cop style, where the cars are kind of like, going in between big shipping containers and hiding and, you know, chasing around each other. And it's a great visual sequence. And uh, it just reminded me of many of the, you know, sort of classic Hong Kong films where the showdowns, sometimes with cars, you know, sometimes just guys with guns hiding, you know, what happened in these shipyards. Um, so I really liked that. I thought that was great. Here's a, here's a point where they do kind of highlight uh, one of the features of the car. They, there's a personal climate control in the back seat because uh the kid monk is like he keeps opening the window or something and then you see clive like reach over to the console and he's adjusting the the back seat climate control which again you have to figure this was 2002 right so a fairly new feature for the air i mean kind of standard on most vehicles today uh, but i did make that note that yep there's there's a little bit of a, a focus on the vehicle there at, at least non-verbal, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, just, just so, solely through. It's not like the kid's going, hey, I'm hot, I'm hot, you know. There's a function on the car, young kid. And great, too, because the kid is actually Ang Lee's son, who he just kind of threw there into the, into the role of, of this little monk. And uh, then, you know, it kind of comes full circle because he gets to the destination and he quickly realizes that the destination has been compromised. Um, and it's a little bit sci-fi-ish, too, because... For whatever reason, the, the evil group is going to inject the little monk with this glowing blue substance. And I'm like, okay, that's different. But it was fun. Yeah, and uh, there's a little um, thing at the end that uh, signals um, Ang Lee's uh, upcoming project at that time. I don't know if uh, we're going to... It doesn't really matter if we spoil that. I mean, uh, I want to tell people about uh, the Band-Aid. Yeah, so at a certain point, the monk mysteriously hands Clive's the driver uh, this box and he gets ready to open the box he goes no no it's for later you'll know when or something like this you know in very sort of monk-esque fashion so clive actually gets hit at a certain point by a glazed by a bullet slightly and he realizes he's bleeding so he opens the box and it's a band-aid a single band-aid with the incredible hulk on it and it's just like okay ang lee we it's because it, it, this is like a year or so someone year and has half. a movie coming out yeah before um, the Hulk and a lot of, you know, I'm sure a lot of Marvel fans, if you listen to this, you're going, Ang Lee's the Hulk, Whoa, you know. Uh, I didn't dislike that movie. I've never rewatched it, but I didn't, I didn't heavily dislike it as such. Thought it was fine. But yeah, it's, it's just, it was a, it was a funny little reference for those, you know, who kind of follow along with his career of, of things to come. And he talks a little bit too about the, the music. Um, he wanted to include a mixture of sort of Baroque classical music. Um, along with some Tibetan music. And I think it was a very interesting choice for this piece. And uh, it, it works pretty well to sort of bring out the tone and the flavor of the piece. And I guess the bad monk, too, he said, is, is an actual Tibetan guy who's a, like a rest. He owns a Tibetan restaurant that he used to go eat at. And then he just got the guy to come in. And he's like, hey, you know, we want you to be the, be the bad guy in this BMW thing. 
Uh, I, I kind of agree. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it presents a different vibe, for sure. Uh, a new job, of course, for the driver, a new vibe. And it's not... It has chases, of course, and there's peril, but it isn't done in a slam-bang action fashion. It, its mood is um, somewhat different and even comedic, as you uh, stated. So, and, and, and that is welcome. And uh, by, by now, uh, I think we come to like Clive Owen's uh, demeanor and his uh, the confidence that he uh, carries... Uh, uh, as he acts out, you know, he has uh, confidence in the way he sells his car skill. Uh, obviously, the, the stunt drivers involved here, but uh, the perception that he possesses as well. I, I like those traits uh, to have Clive anchor all of that. But but indeed, that chasing the open harbor area before they go into the container area is great fun because it's a lot of like stop, start, back up, and trying to avoid each other. And Ang Lee, he doesn't go like put a Benny Hill score on it obviously uh, and uh, undercrank it but uh, it, it was a little bit offbeat and I, I didn't mind that uh, at all while that uh, particular score is playing uh, just creates a very uh, creative vibe that uh, sort of cements that these filmmakers were working with freedom and could have uh, playtime uh, so uh, it, it has a little bit more personality than Ambush uh, and, and somewhat above um, uh, generic uh, and and the background of the boy um, why he is the target at all that that's perfectly fine that that's ambiguous perfectly fine and and, and the driver adds a little character that uh, is going to pop up in every short possibly but there's no through line but the driver go, goes above duty a little bit so he's not just this uh, goon for hire that um, leaves uh, whenever there's peril uh, in connection to his uh, to his clients and all of that, so a little bit more personality and depth um, and uh, through line when it came when it comes to this shot and the driver's character within uh, this shot. Uh, I like it. It's a no. It it has peril. There's there's threat, but there's a somewhat light mood that, that makes it almost non threat, almost non threatening, threatening in a way. And uh, however, this uh, how hard this connects to. Angley's style prior is hard to say because it it's not like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but with cars instead. It's not like they asked him to do a, a, a lame thing like that because how would you make that? So, but um, I don't know how, how it connects to his uh, mood and his quirks. You know, if you can compare it to any of his Taiwanese work, um, I'll, I'll leave that uh, up for debate. But um, a, a little bit of an, of an improvement. And, uh, and, and certainly now we see that the project uh, is going to offer up... Uh, unique takes on the material uh, that uh, these filmmakers are given whether they're Asian directors uh, at the forefront or or not so uh, perfectly acceptable in terms of Clive's character too and the sort of narrative here one of the things the director mentions is that the title Chosen he said he liked that title because it's a bit ambiguous in that it could refer to the driver it could refer to the car itself it could refer to the little monk so there is this sort of air of mystery with regard to all three of those things, I guess. The final note that I have, and this might just be the nerd in me raging outward, um, the boat in the very beginning that the little monk gets off of that sort of brings him um, to shore, it's like this little, I'm not sure if it's fishing boat or tugboat kind of thing, but it was called Gotham. That was the name of the boat. And I was thinking, wait a minute, is this supposed to be set in like Gotham City is mm-hmm. is he trying to make a connection to Batman somehow? And I could find no other connection because um, it's it's not I don't think it's Hong Kong. It could be any other big city, I guess. It's not really stated, 
But I just like, that's kind of, cause it, it, you kind of see it very clearly. And I'm like, was that just a coincidence? I mean, you would think that as a director, especially somebody of his stature, that putting Gotham there very clear to see is a choice of some, you know, but maybe, maybe it was just the boat they got. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well, on the other hand, you, you'd think he was in, had been working on Hulk for a while. So he, he would be a little bit in the, in the comic book and the different universes, um, uh, you know, aura and area. So who knows, you know, yep. or, or a lifelong Bat- Batman fan, who knows? Uh, so, so yeah, cool. Uh, let's move on to the third out of the five shorts from season one. And it's the Wong Kar Wai directed short called The Follow. And uh, the plot uh, in all simplicity is the driver is now spying on a celebrity's wife suspected of adultery. And um, the the husband that hires Clive Owen is played by Mickey Rourke. The wife is played by model Adriana Lima or Lima. And uh, Forrest Whitaker appears as uh, the agent of uh, Mickey Rourke's and therefore the person who hires the driver. So one car bashing time or one car love. First, we'll we'll see for this short. But, uh, but uh, I'll 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 give the floor to you, Paul. Uh, what do you want to talk talk about in terms of the follow? Yeah, I mean it's interesting that we're talking about this now because I think it's just over a week out that Wong Kar Wai has won a what is it a Nobel Peace Prize for cinema or something like that. So you know a big deal. And I I think I've been on record. I'm not a huge Wong Kar Wai fan. I like a couple of his films, but some of them just kind of they're artistically wonderful. But um, narratively, they just leave me a little bit cold, I guess. But this one I liked a lot. It was um, it definitely has his style. You know, this is around sort of the post um, happy together era. But he's still kind of a little bit touching on the sort of South American vibe that he went for um, through throughout that film. And I, you know, it, it works well. Um, the, the way he uses the narrative here to tell the story in this one, you have basically Clive doing narration and i know that in some aspects of film school uh that's a terrible storytelling technique but i've never really ascribed to that um i i I think narration is fine when it works well yeah i think the way he lets things unfold here um along with uh, clive's narration it works really really well Um, i think the musical choices work really well and um it was a really it's a really good piece I, I agree. It's the best of the shorts from uh, from the first five, and maybe the best of the shorts uh, in total, if I'm being honest. Uh, and and I've never been a great fan of Wong Kar Wai either. I mean, one of his greatest hailed masterpieces, uh, In the Mood for Love, I watched uh, last year, and I liked it a fair amount, but not fully. It, it lost me in some of its um, in, indulgence eventually. So if I can't get fully on board with that, then then and then I'm then I'm out. He's <laughs> uh, um, and happy together, you know. Speaking of his uh, uh, prior movie that you hinted at, just flew right right past me. Love those guys, but uh, it flew right past me. But uh, now the style of uh, this uh, advertising uh, advertisement uh, sort of uh, project and program has. Um, you know, it's a little bit more personal coming from the director's standpoint. It's an extension of uh, mood that Wong Kar Wai can work into movies. And uh, it it seems like he is working his own individual style rather than just, than just making the commercial, if you will. But it's not indulgent. It's not incoherent and abstract or anything. And uh, that, that's a very, very, very good thing. And I feel like Clive is uh, starting to flourish uh, even more here. Um, presumably he's a few films into 
particular project and a few directors under his belt. Uh, that voiceover is a welcome piece of dialogue from the driver because he is talking about the technique of following uh, in combination with the music and his soft delivery. Uh, he, he's not talking of the person at hand that he is following. He's not saying I was following the, the wife, blah, blah, blah. He's merely talking of um, the technique at hand. And the way he's doing that softly almost makes it more like a monologue, an internal monologue, rather than describing the on-screen action meant to no, normally meant to clarify matters. And that soft touch on top of uh, the, the one or two little chase sequences that we do see it makes for a very good mood, actually. And, and I like that we get a sense of the job setup as well, that he's now hired. We see him talking to For- Forrest Whitaker, and he's talking to uh, Mickey Rourke as well. So we're not dropped into the job immediately. We, we, I don't think we should reveal the twist of this one, because it's a strong one, and I think um, you should see it for yourself. But uh, one of the themes is, in terms of the technique of the driver, is to keep your distance. But then what happens if you don't? And it uh, brings in a little bit some strands of conscience and ethics uh, when you decide to refuse when you should uh, or when you shouldn't. And um, it's uh, it's effective and uh, moody. And uh, we can fill in the blanks by the end because the, the reveal happens and Clive only sees it. And I'm keeping it vague. And then Wong Kawai, a scene or two later, brings full closure to it. But not in this... It's done it with confidence, I think, rather than quickly injected piece of clarity. Oh, I wish all of his films were this good. <laughs> but uh, at least we have the follower. Probably my favorite piece of Wonka, why celluloid out there, because I think it um, it gets the job done. The only thing I should complain about is the fact that this, it says at the end, directed by WKW. <laughs> that is stupid. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, up to this point you've been you've been the actual person that you are. So put your damn name on there. Or, or... You could have just put an icon of sunglasses on there or something, right? You know, <laughs> I'm now a symbol. <laughs> so I had to crap on him for something. So I, uh, that's my choice to crap on his directing uh, credit, his actual one. So I, I will say too, if you get a chance, do listen to the audio commentary on this one because he he talks. I mean, they're all the the commentaries all give good insight into each of the segments. But here he talks a lot about working with Forrest Whitaker, you know, like some of the choices that that he let Forrest make that I think were great for for the segment. Um, And also, again, not to give the reveal, but kind of talking about how they set up the end and how that was kind of a difficult thing cinematically to do. Yeah, yeah, technically there's certainly some good notes uh, here, and uh, even though he's never he's not chatty as such, but uh, we get some good insights, so that's uh, always fun. Uh, so let's move on to the fourth out of five, and it's Star by director Guy Ritchie, who by this point I believe um, had Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch under his belt. I don't, I'm not sure Swept Away was out by this point, um, his Madonna movie, but he certainly was married to Madonna. And the plot is about uh, the driver once again, now carries an arrogant rock star who is visiting a major city, and that arrogant rock star is played by Madonna, uh, Guy Ritchie's wife at the time. And uh, she wants to get away from her bodyguards. So that's how we get into the car and onto the streets, Guy Ritchie style. So uh, your your turn again. Uh, what did you think of Star? So, yeah, this is, again, I mean, going in the sequence of these, I think um, we said it doesn't make a difference. But I, I really would never recommend that anybody watch 
the follow first because I, in terms of sort of the unveiling of the driver's character, I think it works so much better after seeing sort of these two somewhat standard action pieces in Ambush and, and then Chosen then to get this kind of very moody, thematic character piece in The Follow. And then to go to this with Star, which is basically pure Guy Ritchie, almost right from the get-go when he drops, closely drops uh, the C word. In, in, in. And you very soon realize uh, who the celebrity is that, that he's going to be driving. And then the, there's a twist here, too, that takes it into sort of extreme territory, but extreme in, in somewhat of the humorous sense. So, again, it's kind of like zigzagging around the genre spectrum with each of these but not so much that it takes clive fully away from this character he's playing it it's not like he's a completely different person or he couldn't be the same person throughout all of these right so it's a it's a great fun piece i think um and it works really well particularly because of the casting it's not super creative but you know in terms of some of what it's doing technically um, but it's still fun. Um, there's a bodyguard, too, that's played by uh, Taru Tanaka Jr., which is um, uh, the son of Oddjob from the James Bond films. So, again, it is a touchback to James Bond itself, uh, which is great. And uh, in, in, we, we never really touched upon it as such because some movies showcase stunts really, uh, you know, out in the open and some don't. So, I mean, maybe Ambush and this are... The ones that really put the cars through through the ringer a little bit. Um, do you think that's uh, you know exceptional or it's standard slow motion stuff that's kind of fun to follow for ten minutes? No, it's good. Uh, you know, it's got and it's got a, a classic um, Steve McQueen bullet style jump. You know, where the car comes up over a, a rise and uh, it's kind of a pretty high up in the air shot of, of the car. And they decide to do something different with it in terms of uh, sort of Clive's expression, which I think is great. But they do talk about how they ruined the car. And this is one this is one of the things that quite a few of the directors do talk about. You know, they gave each of the directors like five or six cars for each of the shoot, each of the shoots. And uh, quite a few of the directors talk about basically just decimating these vehicles. <laughs> yeah, Rich's first uh, shot at at least the stunt uh, wrecked uh, that particular car. Yeah, and there's a similar jump that is is done in one of the later films that we'll get to as well. And it's like they say, you know, that, and the director says, you know, in the movies, the car makes this jump and keeps going no problem. But normally when you do these jumps, the car is done right when it hits the ground. Um, so, you know, it's funny to hear them talk about this in the context of reality versus the sort of cinematic fantasy that we're given on the screen. Uh, what do you think of Madonna? Because uh, as Richie says, she always comes with uh, baggage, whether rational or irrational baggage, because, you know, people like to hate and uh, whenever she acts or whenever she sings, maybe too. But, uh, you know, it's a chance for her to, um, to I guess, um, have a little fun about perceived diva notions, I suppose. Yeah, and I think, again, it's it's something that the director is able to do because of his relationship at the time. Had it been another director, I don't know if he would have gotten away with it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it's 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 perfectly all right and fun. Uh, I mean, the the, the sort of um, signature stamp this has is the fact that now the driver gets to be broad, and Guy Ritchie expressed that he thinks Clive is a funny guy. So I took the chance to 
have a little bit of a laugh uh, with this short and have him uh, act uh, a little bit like a loon too uh, during this particular job. Um, so so if the short is really there for a laugh, some stunts and uh, chase mood centered around. And, and it's not a lazy song choice, but you just think that yeah, that was an easy choice to make because it sort of worked because it works because the chase is centered around the blur song song two, so you you got that and uh, you have um, visual attributes like uh, you know playful roars and noises on the soundtrack as people move and Guy Ritchie uses his at the time anyway signature freeze frame while there's voiceover on top of that, but no uh, cursing as you said uh, in in this one. And uh, the driver is not faced by this uh, attitude. Um, uh, the rock star is not going to crack that exterior and boss him around effectively. He's he's obedient, but he's clearly in the mood and capable of messing with her. And Clive is funny at that. Um, he he is broad in the short, but it's also a nicely subtle touch present here, where he merely just absorbs. And when she says "drive." Okay, <laughs> you know, and you hear you hear the first beats of the uh, Blur song, and you know crap's gonna go down now. Yeah, so I, I, even if it's not professional conduct, but it seems like he's his own business anyway, so he can uh, he can act the way he likes uh, depending on the client uh, client at hand here. And he calls her sir throughout as well to to add uh, insult to injury that he's uh, out to mess with her. You know, I think we lost him, sir. And then you see the call, zoom. Oh no, we didn't. <laughs> so it's a it's a little bit of a joker character and uh, it's the better driving showcase of the series so far you know uh, a lot of, a lot more ca- advanced camera rigs uh, evident camera rigs anyway richie i guess is uh well suited for the advertisement purposes uh, i suppose because the, the, there's shots here that uh, showcases the car clear as day but it's still his silly short it's not an advertisement where where they show functions of the car or anything. It's just uh, energetic and boom, 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 boom. So all perfectly uh, perfectly fine and suitable for, for Richie's voice, I suppose. Yeah, it's interesting too, because when you compare the first four up to this point, the first two, Ambush and Chosen, are kind of filmed at night, you know, so while they do have lighting and you do get to see the car, there's still a lot of sequences where it's, it's rather dark, right? Um, which, you know, normally that's a... That's not considered great for advertising purposes when you're trying to focus on a product. Um, whereas we get into the um, Wong Kar Wai one, the follow, and this one with Star, and they're full-on day. And so you get a lot of full-on shots of the car, very clear um, and you know easy, easy to see, easy to follow, easy to tell what's being driven. And uh, finally, we uh, for um, for the season one batch of movies, five in total, we go to Powder Keg by director Alejandro González Iñárritu. Again, he was fairly known, but mainly I think through his first... I'm not sure it was his first movie, but it, it certainly was a movie he made in his native country, um, Mexico, I believe. He made a movie called Amores Peros. And I don't think he had made like 21 Grams or Babel or Bubble, and uh, certainly now known more for. Uh, Revenant and uh, Birdman and movies like that. So he's uh, gone on to quite a, I think he's two-time Oscar winner by this point. I think he won both for Revenant and Birdman. So he's gone on to do some stuff. But in two thousand and one and two, um, he he's um, 
Star wasn't um, as uh, big in Hollywood anyway. Uh, but anyway, uh, the plot, uh, January 13th, 2001, Times War photographer Harvey Jacobs, played by Stellan Skarsgård, is wounded while witnessing a massacre at the Nuevo Colón by terrorists. In a desperate effort, the United Nations sends a vehicle to get him out, a BMW driven by the mysterious driver. So you can hear from the plot that... Uh, there's no woohoo here anymore. This is uh, where things get real. And uh, a director picks the time during this project to do something real. And whether or not that's a good thing for the project, uh, we're going we're gonna to find out. So, Paul, uh, what did you think of that powder cake? Yeah, dark. Um, not just in terms of the the story tone, but also in terms of some of the, the, the way it's filmed. I mean, it's not it's filmed during the day. But it's um, very grainy. It, you know, they're, they're, he's trying for a very almost handheld, stylistic look for for this uh, particular narrative. And apparently, also in sixteen millimeter. So they, yeah. they didn't even shoot on a regular a regular standard film, if you will. And and that ties in again, I think, with the whole kind of aspect of the story about this journalist and you know film and film stock and and um, you know trying to get this film out of the country basically to tell a story that that kind of that that I think that all builds into the narrative but for me of these that we've watched this is the one that I think doesn't work as well because especially as an advertisement because this oh, one no. is oh, no. such it's, a it's downer pure drama, it's man. such a downer yeah. I mean I don't I, I couldn't think of anybody who would come out of this thinking yeah, I want to go buy a BMW now. You know, well, you, well, you, well, you can't really see it either because it's so handheld. So they barely showcase the car in uh, in any visible shots either. It's meant to be quick cut and handheld too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great dramatically. You've got Stellan Skarsgård here as the reporter. Talk about nerd connections. You know, he would go on later to star in um, the Marvel movies. But here, you know, he's really sort of bringing his full dramatic gravitas. And Clive is he's being you know, deadpan serious here, which is a very sort of contra- nice contrast to the one we saw just before in Star. But still, it's just, it's such a downer. It's like, no, it doesn't work for me. I mean, that's, I, I don't want to come, I don't want to feel bad coming out of a commercial. Come on, guys. No, but, but I totally get it. I mean, you've been prepped for the project being a certain way and being conceived a certain way. And, and you sort of knew that, Filmmakers were going to take liberties and uh, put forth um, their desires to be create to have creative freedom, but it, it's a it's a wild turn, if you will, uh, from uh, from the other ones. That that that's totally uh, visible. In a way, I I don't disagree with you, but I like that the project did get a voice like this in it as well, because by now I I saw that they're they're really not gonna show on TV in a thirty second slot. They're, they're films. They are films. Uh, some of them more shallow than others. Uh, some of them just made for a laugh. Some of them made for mood. This one made in a much more personal fashion. It made sense for the director, but um, it's um, so. So I, I like to have it part of it, but you shouldn't show it, I guess, in a best of reel of uh, what we did during our little advertisement project. Project now powder cake. Oh, by the way, it's it's a dark one. Sorry, folks. So I, I hear what you're saying, but uh, I. I do like it. I think it's effective. Uh, it's the and and I and I separate from from, from the advertisement aspect, even though it's not a bad thing that you 
think of it as well. It's very good that you think of it. But I, I do like it. it. It's the longest. Uh, it's about 13 minutes, I think. Uh, and it's the most removed from action, stunts, chase, and cool. I, I, I don't remember Amoris Peros if it had these grainy, high-contrast images and even handheld throughout the movie. But I, I certainly remember vivid colors from it uh, back in the day. Uh, but, but as you said, Alejandro, he argues that this story needs that loose uh, feel and uh, and the the lack of all fun and games is uh, is okay i mean it's clearly the most real i think he talks of the fact that this was based on real events too and uh, given that personal space to depict those uh, real events i don't think is a, a bad thing even though it is grim it has gritty killings and the geography of these um, of the country they're in means they're in narrow streets and the view in general is very it's it's a it's a sort of dirty view of the world, a very gritty view of the world. So obviously it's um it's heavier, and uh, it's also the photographer has seen this reality a lot through his camera. But now it seems like he's especially now that he's wounded, I guess he's seeing the reality for the first time uh, when not looking through uh, his viewfinder and uh, through his lens and all of that. So he he has remorse about that that he's not made any difference. That all his pictures did was to sell, uh, to uh, to benefit sales, and um, that's an intelligence that's valid, I think, uh, and could be valid in two thousand and one and two thousand and seventeen when it comes to how reporters uh, make their living and what they capture. Full movie on on this subject and this style, I think that would be quite a lot to take um, to have such a handheld experience and a heavy experience for ninety minutes. Uh, but um, it, it is affecting for the 13 minutes where we're with these two. And the driver gets to showcase a little bit more of, um, well, Clive uh, gets to showcase a little bit more of a dramatic range. It's certainly not purely about money, as I mentioned before. And um, he follows through on promises, too, without uh, spoiling. It isn't my favorite out of the ones, uh, I think, uh, but it's the second best, I think, if you look at the movie quality uh, after the follow so um, it, it's one I don't mind uh, returning to. There, there, there is an intelligence uh, behind it, and um, BMW didn't um, didn't back down from it, which I guess is um, admirable that they they let him make that one. And maybe he was the director, Paul, that made the least dents in the chosen cars at hand. Mm-hmm. Maybe just some bullet holes, uh, a little bit uh, here and there, and uh, uh, but otherwise, it seems like he kept um, he kept the car on the ground mostly. Yeah, it's interesting too to think about, as you mentioned. I mean, these are these are not. Every, these would not ever play in a commercial slot on U.S. television because normally commercial slots are 30 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds to a minute. A minute is considered very long for a commercial slot. Um, and I think the exceptions are during the U.S. Super Bowl, um, you can get some co- long-form commercials which will run like a minute and 30 seconds. And that's the most expensive airtime. That's why you get very elaborate commercials made for the Super Bowl because it's such expensive airtime that they decide to sort of go all out full force. And it calls into mind too, I mean, if you go back, uh, I want to say to the 90s, you know, like Pierce Brosnan did some long form Visa commercials where he was sort of parroting on the James Bond vibe. I think I remember one where he's like, I think he's in India or he's in Nepal or something. Um, for Visa, Zhang Ziyi did a Visa commercial shortly after Crouching Tiger that was directed by Ang Lee that was oh, yeah. long form. 
too. Um, and then, you know, so you get these. And so it's nice to see a company that's, you know, saying, here, have some creative freedom. We're probably never going to show these on regular TV unless we put them in a special or something. But, you know, we want to see what you guys can do. And it's also a little bit evocative, too, of the way that I think music videos changed, um, you know, after the sort of creation of MTV back in the 80s, where you got creators like Michael Jackson saying, you know, I want to go beyond the simple format of the two, three minute song. I want to create something that's got a bit more of a movie style narrative to it. And so you get stuff like Thriller and then later Bad and stuff, you know, music videos that end up going on to like 13, 14 or 15 minutes that at a certain point, MTV said, well, we can't show those because <laughs> they're too long. They take up too many slots for other artists. So we've got to sort of cut them down and condense them. Um, but really, you know, letting creators push the boundaries of what a very sort of typical form like a music video or an ad in this case is and giving them the freedom and the flexibility to play with it. I think it's great. Yeah, that generation of um, and of MTV um, directors, uh, music video directors, certainly blossomed into some of our best filmmakers uh, around. I mentioned Fincher, who is the executive producer on this project. He was a music video director back in the day, and um, th- he was making mini movies. So it was not a bad training ground to grow filmmaking instincts, and um, he certainly grew them and uh, done some. I think he made like a Madonna video possibly and uh, you know uh, even though it, it wasn't maybe a mini movie but uh, you know he worked with the big ones and, and pr- probably did advertisements uh, too being a director for hire. These directors do if they work in music videos and advertisements but in particular they just work and work and work and work and work and uh, I mean uh, I know Ridley Scott and Tony Scott that are also involved in the project they directed tons of that stuff as well. So uh, it's a good good training ground for filmmaking. Uh, okay, and as for availability of uh, the hire in uh, total, if you will, uh, uh, these were made, if we're talking of the season one and to a degree season two, these were made available for free, first of all, on bmwfilms.com, uh, their website upon release. And you could order a free DVD copy as well, that including that included all films, director's commentary, uh, a slightly extended edits of Chosen and Powder Keg, they did sort of uh, different pressings of this. So the second edition of season one that came included with an issue of Vanity Fair had one kawaii short removed. And this was due to Forrest Whitaker acting on an agreement in his contract that the film, uh, because the film would, should, uh, the contract said that the film would only be shown on the internet. And when they started releasing these on DVD, him or his agency or representation uh, acted on that and had that short removed. As a DVD featuring season one and two uh, eventually came out and the follow was later uh, provided uh, on that uh, uh, set and as far as i can see neither season is available commercially anymore and used copies um, can be find, found for as little as 20 us dollars as much as 45 us dollars uh, but then again in all likelihood as paul mentioned all short movies uh, sans extras are available on youtube channels and uh, since they were free anyway this should not make you feel bad that you're watching it uh, on youtube so go ahead and find them they're, they're, they're out there the only film on bmw films um, own youtube channel is uh, the very last one they did um, did uh, last year so they haven't uh, archived them themselves uh, which is a shame uh, okay cool we're done for 
the higher season one and uh, next episode and um, you are going to hear these two weeks in a row we're going to uh, look at season two and three and uh, essentially the remaining four movies but uh, in the meantime uh, for all your podcast on fire network needs go to podcastonfire.com and you'll find all our shows and um, relevant links in this episode uh, email contact if you want to uh, let us know what you thought of the higher if you saw them and um my reviewing links are available there as well, so I'll keep it short for now. But Paul, you get a full phone plug as always for East Screen West Screen, so take it away. Yes, indeed, East Screen West Screen. If you are interested in uh, Hong Kong cinema and other stuff, uh, please do drop by and give us a listen. Let us know what you think, and you can find us over at Kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. Cool. Well, uh, that's us for now. We are going to take a, a, a short break in reality. To, uh, to fuel up a little bit and then record again. But uh, you listeners, I uh, hope you enjoyed. And uh, see you next week for the conclusion of uh, The Hire featuring Clive Owen and all of that. And we'll let you know of the... Uh, because we, we mentioned John Woo, but he's in the se- second season. So we'll let you know what his short is like and what the other filmmakers were, that um, uh, what other filmmakers came on to the project, uh, who they were. So uh, I've been Kenneby, and with me was Paul Fox. So uh, say goodbye, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.